rise for the reading of God's word. Is my mic okay, Paul? It is? Sounds like I'm fading in and out here, but I'm okay? Okay. It's my 47-year-old hearing. Something's wrong with it. Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. Verse 10. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. Someone will run right at you with a Bible. If you raise your hand, I promise. Now when there rose, verse 10, Acts uh, chapter 23. Now when there rose a great dissension. So Paul had come in, had been brought into this courtroom, the Sanhedrin, to explain try to explain to the, a Roman commander why is this guy causing so much controversy in Jerusalem. So he's brought in before the Sanhedrin, and it says there rose a, a great dissension. When the, there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among the barracks. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Let's pray. Father, we come in here this morning to meet with you. And Lord, just as Paul, Lord, you came and met him in such a powerful way in a jail cell. We praise you, Lord, that we can come into a hotel conference center and have you meet us here, Lord. We praise you that wherever we are in the face of the earth, Lord, you are faithful to come to us and be with us. We invite you to speak into our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament are about what Jesus did and what he taught prior to being taken up into heaven. The book of Acts is about what Jesus did and what he taught after he was taken up into heaven. And that's what we learn from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Luke, state, Luke, who is the author of this book, he states the purpose of writing it, and it's to to chronicle, to write out what Jesus did and what he taught after he was taken up into heaven. And so it's so important that you understand, that I understand, that we understand, that Jesus continues to do and he continues to teach up until this very day. Of course, not in the flesh, but in and through those who have decided to follow him. Consider these verses. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 2 Corinthians 5.11. 
I love this verse. We who are alive are always being given over to death. What doesn't mean we're physically dying. We're dying to our own will. We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So the Lord has, he could have decided to do his will any way that he wanted to. For some reason, he decided, however, to do it through you, through me. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word Lord just means master. If you say with your mouth that Jesus is master and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And once saved, the Bible says that Jesus Christ himself comes to live within you. 2 Corinthians 13.5, the Apostle Paul says this, Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Jesus Christ is in you. But you say, but, what, 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 but Lord, what does that look like? What does it look like, Lord, in the life of a man or woman? Jesus living inside of them. What, what does that life look like? Well, that is why God gave us the book of Acts. He gave us the book of Acts to show us what that looks like. Jesus Christ continuing to do and to teach and to live through men and women. So for almost a year now, we've been in the book of Acts. We've been reading about what it looks like in the life of a man or a woman for Jesus to live through them. So the last few chapters, uh, we have zeroed in, in the, into the life of Paul. And it's like he's under a microscope in the last few chapters. I'm not sure that I would like the Lord to just go in and just put my life under this kind of scrutiny and then just give it out for everyone to, uh, to, to see. But that is what is uh, uh, done here in the last few chapters, and, 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 and it, it's here because the very things that happened in the life of Paul as Jesus lived in and through him, we should see happening in our own lives. That's why the book of Acts was given to us. Not so we can say, oh, well, this book is about Paul, Peter, and, and, and John. But they were apostles. What possible relevance does this have to my life? No, 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 no. God desires the same life for you. Little old, eensy, weensy, beensy, you. And the good news is, He wants us to live this same kind of life, the life we're reading about, and he gives us the grace to do it. He gives us the grace to do it. God doesn't give you a plan for your life. By the way, he gives a plan, and he has a calling for every single person who he calls to his own to become a child. He doesn't give you a plan for your life only to put you in shackles and chains and say, okay, I'm going to watch and see how miserable they are trying to live this will, this calling that I put on their life. No, it's not like that. He gives you the grace. He fills you with the Holy Spirit. Over and over, Paul himself says, when you're saved, 
The Holy Spirit is given to you as a seal, guaranteeing what is to come. He empowers you to live this life. And so if there were ever a chapter in the New Testament that demonstrates that Paul is no different than anyone else, he's a man with like passions and weaknesses as you and me. It's Acts chapter 23. We were in the first 14 verses of the chapter last week. The setting, Paul has been brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin. These are the 70 most powerful men in the Jewish community. They're the, you could call them the Jewish Supreme Court. The presiding officer was the high priest. It's the very same court that condemned Jesus to, to death. The apostles Peter and John were also went before this tribunal. So did all 12 apostles. So did Stephen. Now Paul's here. And the Roman commanders brought him here. Why? Because Paul had come into Jerusalem. Over the years, he had been such a controversial figure figure that just by showing up, just by someone seeing him there, a riot was stirred up. The whole city was stirred up into, uh, uh, you know, this great outcry. In chapter 22, verse 30, it says that all the city was disturbed uh, because of the riot. And the Roman commander received a report that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. And now any student of the Roman Empire will know that there's one thing that the Romans didn't put up with. It was civil disorder. They actually gave a lot of freedom to the cities around their empire as long as as you played it cool. But man, as soon as uh, civil disorder started stirring up, it was a big problem. And so this guy brings Paul, this Roman commander, he brings Paul before this council. And again, we were here last week in verse 21. It says, Paul looks at this council. It says, he earnestly looks at them. and says, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day meaning I've done nothing wrong. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. And, you know, that's a reference to the tombs outside of Jerusalem. During feast time, they used to paint them white. So they were pretty on the outside, rotten on the inside. And we talked about this. This was a big-time failure on the part of Paul. Not an accurate representation of Jesus Christ. The men were just at the men's retreat and and one of the banner verses was, blessed are the meek. Sorry, men. Sorry to break the news, we were told. You gotta be meek. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, for I am meek and lowly of spirit. He said, if someone strikes you in one cheek, turn and give the other. And Paul's light ears, along with the rest of us, from the kind of self control, the kind of spirit that our Lord had. Some people say, well, didn't Jesus call the Pharisees whitewashed walls? Yes, he did. When Jesus was teaching in the temple, when they came to him, by the way, to trap him, he did. He called them, you are like whitewashed tombs. This is a very different setting, right? Paul is, has been brought into the Supreme Court the presiding officer, you know, makes a, a command here. It's a pretty harsh one. 
Paul, you know, basically what Paul does, he, 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 he reviles him. He heaps abuse on him. In verse 4, it says, and those who stood by who had heard what Paul said, do you revile God's high priest? That word revile in the Greek is loitereo. It means to speak abusively. And in verse 5, Paul says, then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you not you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Paul blew it. He knows that he has. Jesus had been before the Sanhedrin, almost the the exact same setting. The high priest presiding over the meeting, Jesus struck in the face. 1 Peter 1.21 says, Jesus Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example when he was reviled. Same exact word as Acts chapter 23, verse 5. When he was reviled, loitereo, spoken abusively of, he did not revile in return. So the meeting from here goes downhill big time. Rival groups start, you know, uh, getting at each other's uh, throats. Paul gets in the middle of it. And in verse 10 it says, Now when there was a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. You know, I look at this. It encourages me if the the Lord can use Paul, he can use me. Paul was a man of like passions and weaknesses as the rest of us. Don't want to look at the book of Acts and say, oh, this is Peter, James, and Paul. This this is them. I am me. No, they're just like you. I've seen you, some of you guys. (laughs) They're just like you. Praise the Lord. That's an encouragement. And so then in verse 11, it says, but the following night, the Lord stood by him, and the Lord said to him, be of good cheer, Paul. Be of good cheer, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So listen, Paul has hit rock bottom here at the time of, by the time of verse 11. Anyone who knows the life of Paul... He had such an awesome intensity and determination about him to do the will of God. And, you know, by this time, remember, he's been through cities all around the western Mediterranean, and he had just been declaring the good news about salvation in Christ in city after city after city. And in every city, people would turn to Jesus Christ, turn to faith uh, in Jesus Christ. Some cities, it was literally multitudes uh, in the city. A couple cities, the whole city uh, showed up to hear him teach. And so Paul was going through all these cities, seeing the hand of the Lord wherever he went. But listen, the one city he had more of a heart for than any other city by far was Jerusalem. And so when the Lord told him, spoke to his heart, you go to Jerusalem, oh man, he, 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 he thought, it, oh, I know what's going to happen there, man. They're going to get there, I, I'm going to declare the word of God, and, and, and we're going to see the same kind of fruit that we saw in every other city. And so, you know, he, he, he goes there, remember in Romans chapter 9, Paul says he loved the Jews so much that he would go to hell if it meant that 
the Jews could be saved. He would exchange his salvation for theirs. This is a guy who loved the Jewish people. So he heads off there, declares the word of God. He is convinced, utterly convinced what's going to happen there. That people would respond to the good news about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So let's pause. Listen. Brothers and sisters, when you become utterly convinced in your life about what, just precisely what God is going to do in the next year or two years, whatever, six months, three months of your life, what he's going to do, how he's going to do it, and on what timetable, chances are he's going to do otherwise. Why? He wants to remind us of those two things that he ever wants to keep us mindful of. God ever wants to remind me of two things. There is a God and I'm not him. <laughs> there is a God, and I'm not him. And actually, there's a third thing, right? Neither are you. <laughs> Neither are you. God will not become captive to the will of man. And man, I do this over and over and over. I, I figure out exactly, oh, Lord, this is what you're going to do. This, this, and then you're going to do this, and then he's going to come in, and she's going to come in. We're all going to get to Whatever. I become convinced of what he's going to do, but he's always quick to remind us. But when you become convinced about the very precise steps and timing about what the Lord is going to do, it's the quickest way to, listen, to hit rock bottom emotionally. When you become so convinced exactly what he's going to do and he chooses a different thing, a better thing, but it's a different thing. You talk about the quickest way to the bottom of the barrel. That's it. And that's what happens to Paul. He's confused. He feels isolated. Don't see anyone from the church in Jerusalem showing up to visit him here. Uh, he feels condemned. He, he had behaved so unlike his Lord in front of the Sanhedrin. It says, but, uh, verse 11 says, but the following night, the Lord stood by him. If you have a pen or a pencil, you have my permission to underline that. But the Lord stood by him. You know, about eight, or eight, or eight years ago, I taught on this chapter. I spent two whole weeks in this verse alone. I'm not going to quite do that this time, but whether you have been a Christian for 20 days or 20 years, this verse is for you. It's just loaded with grace. It, 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 and so, listen, so that's what the life of Christ is all about, just loaded with grace. And so often we just don't get it. Listen, if you feel you failed in your ministry, no matter, again, if you've been a, a Christian 20 days or 20 years, if you think you've failed in your witness, you think you've failed in your marriage or relationship, your job, you look at your life, you see a lack of fruit, a lack of results, a, a, a lack of what you were convinced the Lord was going to do, you see other 
ugliness, shame and guilt. You feel alone and confused and isolated. Here is the response to the Lord to someone, rather the response by the Lord to someone who is in your shoes. It says, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in Rome. Be of good cheer. Why have you not been looking, Lord, what's been going on around here the last 24 hours? We talked about this last week. What happened here? The Lord had moved on. The Lord moves on so quickly. You know, we we stay dwelling in our failures, whether it's something that happened in the distant past or something that happened in the immediate past. We, we insist on not accepting the grace of God. We, exist, we insist actually in not believing the word of God. First John 1 John 1.7 says this. It says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Past, present, future. And when I say past, distant past and immediate past, all sin. And listen, listen carefully here. You have to get this. That truth, that fact that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin should have a very practical effect on your relationship with God. If that verse, which is so important, we hear it all the time, The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If that's not having a very practical effect on your life, on your relationship with him, there's a problem. There's a problem there. When you mess up what that verse is telling you, and so many other verses like it in the New Testament, you can move on. And the Lord's moving on, and the question is, the only question is, are you going to go on with him? Hebrews 10, 17 says this. I love this, the quote from the Old Testament. From the book of Jeremiah, which is prophesying about the new covenant in the Messiah. And what does it say? When this new covenant comes... And it's embraced by the people. When people embrace the Messiah, Jesus Christ, by faith, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That is a promise for every single man and woman in this room who is in Christ. God chooses not to remember. He wants to move on. Not by himself, with you. He wants to move on. So here's the deal. The fact that the Lord is giving this wonderful promise here, and and it is heavy, and and man, your heart has to embrace this, that it's all about grace. The life in Christ is, uh, is loaded with grace. What is grace? Getting from God what you don't deserve. God says, be of good cheer. Just as you've testified in Jerusalem, so you're gonna do in Rome. He gives them this awesome promise, but here's the deal. Just because he gives them this great promise doesn't mean for a second that the opposition is going to let up. 
It's not going to let up one bit. Remember, God's the peace in the midst of the storm. God doesn't promise us to remove trouble from our life. He just promises to be with us in the trouble. And boy, is there uh, trouble brewing outside of the jail cell here. Verse 12 says this, and when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. It's an odd oath. I mean, killing Paul, I understand that. But don't you need to eat and drink in order to like to do stuff like this? Anyway, verse 13. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now therefore, to you, together with the council, suggest to the commander, speaking of the Roman commander, that he, Paul, be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So these four guys, these four Jewish men, swear that they will not eat until they kill Paul. They come up with this plan. They share it with the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. The plan is this. Hey, you guys, just ask for Paul to come back so you can question him again. Before he gets there, we'll kill him. We'll ambush him on the road. Really clever plan. Clever, clever, clever. Just one little problem. What is it? One of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's going to go up? No? Yes. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan which will succeed against the Lord. (laughs) Praise God. These poor guys. (laughs) So listen, when God meets you in your jail cell and he blesses you with the promise, expect opposition right outside the jail cell. Let's continue. Verse 16. It says, so when Paul's sister's son, now where did this guy come from? When Paul's sister's son heard about their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went inside, and asked privately, so what is it that you have to tell me? And, the, and he, the boy, Paul's nephew, said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him, but to do not yield to them for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him, and now they are ready waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. Verse 23, and he, the commander, called for two centurions, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan. 
that can succeed against the Lord. So what happens here? Paul's nephew overhears the conspiracy. Now some will read this type of thing and say, oh, what a coincidence. What a lucky break. Listen, if you are that kind of somebody, please stop it. Just stop it. Stop it. You know, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know what I find? I find that a Christian's joy is in direct proportion to how much they attribute what happens in their everyday life to the Lord. Listen to me. The Lord's hand is all over your life. His hand's all over it. Don't play the fool. Don't attribute the Lord's hand to coincidence. You know, I have found in my life, particularly in the area of seeking the Lord just for open doors to serve him, It's absolutely amazing, his hand, the hand of the Lord. I remember our church is 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 um, really involved in missions. We we go somewhere two or three times a year, and actually we're going to Ireland in July. But we were sort of trained in Peru. I have a a dear friend in in Peru, a pastor there, and we serve together, uh, and. in, in, in a church in a Calvary Chapel, and uh, he he went down there, and I came up here. I, I returned up here. I was born up here. Returned up here, and he trained us really well in how to in, in how to do missions, how to go out. And but the thing is, his particular church down there in Peru, man, they were getting ten to twelve teams a year to go down there, and 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 it, the Lord really put it on my heart, Steve. You, you guys are prepared. You need to seek a brand new work. And this was really on my mind. It just become heavy on my heart. All of a sudden, one morning, I was right over there uh, greeting a, a young lady, and she was from MIT. Her name was Dina. And I said, so, you know, somehow the subject of her dad come up. What does your dad do? Oh, he's going to go plant a church in Haiti. Oh, really? When's he going to do that? Well, he's going to leave, like, next week. Oh, Really? And this is exactly what the Lord had on, uh, on my heart. And so we flew him up here, Pastor Serge. We committed to, to, to get behind his work. And just a few years later, he cannot keep. He has absolutely no, doesn't know what to do with all the people coming in to his church down there. And after the earthquake, you know, we were going down there. Uh, several teams were sent down there. But then it started getting harder to, to get down there because of uh, the, the just big political mess, cholera, and other things. And the Lord put it on my heart once again to, uh, you know, get behind a brand new work, one that hadn't even started yet. And this was specifically on my mind. Sure enough, I'm meeting. Uh, I was down in Miami on the, my way to Haiti. I'm talking with uh, Pastor Robert uh, in Miami Beach, and he's telling me about this, this couple uh, in his church, uh, Alex uh, Piagetti and his wife, who were going down to Brazil. And all of a sudden, the Lord is like, Steve, 
Are you hearing? Are you listening? And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. And so we're bringing him up here, and we're looking forward to be a part of that. And, and, but just, just here recently, in the past, six or seven weeks ago, a couple months ago, um, I've really had the Caribbean community of Boston on my heart. Because uh, and when I say Caribbean community, I mean the Virgin Islands, Jamaica, Bahamas, Barbados, Trinidad. And I, I told Stephanie this. I really, I feel like we need to pray for an open door in the Caribbean community in Boston. And, and, uh, and, and they live, many of the, the folks in this community uh, live in, in Dorchester and Roxbury. And I, and I began to actually write this down. Open up a door in Dorchester or Roxbury for the Caribbean community. Because I just, I, as I meet the folks from this community, they love the Lord. They love him. And when they find out about the chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse method that we do at Calvary Chapel, they just, they love it. It's like, wow, we want this. And so my wife and I start praying, and we were writing it down, Dorchester, Roxbury, and the Lord told me specifically, you need to add Mattapan to Dorchester and Roxbury. It's clear as day. He, He told me that. So I said, okay, Mattapan. Like one week later, I had gone to visit a couple in the church. In Mattapan, I'm sitting in their house, and the Lord says to me, because one of them was going in for surgery, and the Lord says to me, Steve, do you know where you're at right now? I'm in Mattapan. And where are the people from in this house? Oh, they're from Trinidad. Huh, Steve, you know, get with it here. This is answered prayer, and I, I, I like, couldn't believe it. And I just shared with them right there on the spot. The Lord has been sharing with me to come into Mattapan and, and start a Bible study. And they're like, it was like they saw a ghost. They're like, I can't believe you're saying this. We've wanted so bad to have a work like that happen right in our house. You call that a coincidence? Don't go there, man. Do not go there. That is the supernatural hand of the Lord. And, and this is happening all the time. My brother, who... Some of you have met, he did a presentation here. Uh, He has a surgery center in the middle of Peru and uh, in the Amazon jungle there. And uh, he was on his way down there a while back. And he he is married to uh, a woman named Nancy, my sister-in-law. Nancy, Nancy, Nancy is the most organized human being on the face of the planet. (laughs) I mean, I have five kids, right? I can't even keep track of their birthdays myself. But, man, their birthday, a week before, the email shoots in with a little note of encouragement to them. Then a card comes in. And, I mean, it's just one of these people that you're, you're like, looking at every jot and tittle of their life. It's like, Lord, can you give me a piece of that organization, please? Yeah, that type of thing. She is so organized. They were on their way down to Peru. They were in Atlanta. And uh, they're at the Atlanta airport waiting for their connection to Peru. And... uh, they miss their plane. Now, you got to understand, for me, that's normal. <laughs> for Nancy, that's impossible. That's like some sort of weird miracle, the reverse miracle. It's just bizarre when I heard this. Nancy let her family miss a plane? you got to be kidding me. So they got onto this plane, and... Uh, 
they sat next to, to some guy. So you know where this is going, right? They're sitting next to this one guy. He says, oh, why are you going to Peru? Oh, we have this thing in Peru. It's a, uh, it's a surgery center in the middle of the jungle. The guy goes, oh, really? Tell me a little about it. They tell him about it. Takes out his checkbook, writes out a check for $10,000. Now, anyone raise your hand? That was a coincidence, anyone? <laughs> just, just a coincidence? They happened to, you know, miss their plane? No. <laughs> the Lord is all over your life. When you're walking with him, he will confirm that you're walking in his will by putting his hands all over things. And he does so in a way that may seem natural, i.e., Paul's nephew showing up out of nowhere overhearing a conspiracy, but it's supernatural. And don't miss God on this. Don't, because again, I, the joy of the Lord, I just find in a, in a Christian's life is just in direct proportion to how much they give the Lord praise for what he's doing in their life. So this, this boy, I find this really funny. He, he finds out that about this conspiracy uh, going on and he goes over and he he tells Paul about it. It says, when, verse 16, when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Now, uh, uh, what does Paul do here? Does he freak out? How many conspirators? Forty of them? They've agreed to not to eat or drink until they've killed me? No, none of that. I mean, if Paul was, like, smoking a cigar or something, I know he wasn't, he'd go, go tell the Rome commander. <laughs> I mean, just as cool as anything, you know. You mind going and telling the Roman commander this? Of course, he had just been with the Lord, right? How we need to be with the Lord every single day so that we respond in, in, in like manner. Remember, just the day before, he was freaking out. <laughs> Isn't it incredible what one night with the Lord will, will do uh, uh, for us? And so verse 23, he tells the commander, and the commander says, he calls for two centurions, which is a leader of 100 Roman soldiers, saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Actually, do we have that map ready, Caesarea? I, I just want to show you where Caesarea is. It was a Roman city. It was about 90 miles north. You see Jerusalem sort of right there. Or do we? Where's Jerusalem there? There's Jerusalem. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right down there. Caesarea is go. It's right down there, down a little on the coast. No, there's another one. Down there on the coast, to the left. Right there, right there. All right, good job. <laughs> he was shooting from the hip there. I'm sorry, I, I'm not, that's not fair that I just asked him to do that. But he, great job, Dan. So he went from Jerusalem down there over the, the Dead Sea there, about 90 miles north to Caesarea. What does he do? He takes them out of the danger zone. Takes them completely out of the danger zone and has an accompany, accompanies him with 400 
470 soldiers. 470. So what's the, what's the lesson there for us? Listen, when you're facing a problem that's so complicated and fearful and huge, and you're using every molecule in your body to try to figure out how to solve this thing, and you're wiped out and you're stressed out, stop. Again, stop. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The Lord can solve in an instant, in an instant, a problem that will take you years years to work out. Take it to the Lord in uh, prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So 470 soldiers. Do you know how long it would have taken for Paul to try to figure out, uh, you know, how to deal with this thing that was coming against them, you know, in his own strength, with his own devices, in his own wisdom, you know, how to muster up that kind of protection for himself? Oh, I got to call the church. I got to call my, you know, Uncle Mordecai. You know, I, I got to, you know, tunnel out my way out of this prison cell. You know, that's what we do. But the Lord in an instant can move a mountain, and, and that's what uh, he does here. So little does the Roman commander realize he's being used directly by the living God to protect one of God's children. So we'll pick up next week. Uh, uh, with uh, in verse uh, 25 and 26 there, you know what a wonderful privilege it is just to be a child of, of God. And John 1.12 says this, to as many who have received Jesus, to as many who have believed in his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. And, and just in this this short little chapter here, oh, wow, just the undeserved privilege of being a child of God. If you have never in your life asked Jesus into your life, believing in your, uh, confessing with your mouth, saying with your mouth that he's master, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Please speak to me after the service or one of the other uh, pastors here because what you've, because, you know, this life is just loaded with grace. It's just loaded with grace. To say nothing of what happens when we pass from death to eternal life. If you've never just ask the Lord, God, I want to become a child of God. I want this in my life. I'm tired of doing it on my own, trying on my own. Let's come and, and speak to me after the service. Or there'll be just a, a couple people up here praying after the service. You can go up to them. It's a simple prayer of faith. Why don't we end with a worship song?